hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Sucker Time. The number one award-seeking comedy podcast about comedy. Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast podcaster, Mark Hershaw. Yes, it's me, Mark Hershon, your host and parking valet for Epi 94 of Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast. Welcome. This is the podcast where we feature clips of other comedy podcasts to help you try and sort through the literally thousands of comedy podcasts you could be listening to when you fancy a comedy podcast or two. Since I'm always skimming the pod waves listening to what's out there, I also review podcasts as part of This Week in Comedy Podcasts over on Splitsider.com. I also review them for The Huffington Post. I know a number of podcasts have taken time out to mention the tragic death of Robin Williams in the past month, Joan Rivers too, but Robin in particular seemed to have touched a nerve across the board with his passing. I spoke about it a bit last episode. I knew Robin some, having grown up in the same area, Marin County, as well as going to the same high school and junior college just a few years behind him. And I had the opportunity to do improv with him on stage a number of times as well as just hang out with him from time to time. So I've had my say, really, although if you'd like to see something I've written on it, I have a remembrance of Robin and his connection to Marin County that's up on the blog for Marin Magazine. And you can find a link to that blog piece uh, on this show at our home site, SuccotashShow.com. But our associate producer, Tyson Saner, came up with a great idea, and that's to give you a smattering of what some of the other podcasters have been saying about Robin. I told him, go for it, and he went out into podcast land and clipped an even dozen different shows, and that's what our show this episode is going to be about. Most of the episode, anyway. We still have our usual roundup of the stuff we like doing, like our dirt, uh, Burst of Durst segment with comedian and social lampooner Will Durst. We actually have a double dose of Durst this time. A classic Henderson's Pants commercial. Our Tweet Sack segment. And, of course, starting off with our obligatory clip from the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour podcast with our friends Dean Haglin and Phil Ernest, where they talk about us and then some. This is your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Hey, uh, did you notice uh, we were we were talking uh, just before doing the show about yes. some guests that we might have? Yes, and uh, uh, one of them is, uh, of course, Kumail Najani from. Yeah. Uh, we should get that guy. Silicon Valley, great, uh, hilarious Maybe. comic, and uh, you did his show. Yes, the, the X Files, X Files, right? Which we broke the internet apparently, so they crashed the server. That the show was on. Wow. I know. That's how many people heard that show. And uh, did you see that uh, our friend Mark Hershon reviewed that on HuffPo? No, I did not. That episode. Yes, he did. <laughs> That's so funny. But I did see him reverse photobomb Fred Armiston on uh, the Emmys. Oh, really? Yes. He was like 10 rows back with, uh, I think it was T.J. Miller. The two of them were like waving at the camera when Fred Armiston was doing oh, comedy. Oh, not Mark, Mark Hershon. Not Mark Hershon. No, I'm talking Kamel. <laughs> okay. Did yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I, I don't think Mark Hershon got You're the having Emmys. some interesting uh, efference. Efference? Uh, efference. Some reference usages on right. this. I, I have no idea that. whether you're referring to yourself or the cat <laughs> to Mark wow. Hershon or... Uh, anyway. He, he gets you after a while. Uh, we'll talk about the Emmys in, a little, in sure. a little while, and I'm glad that you mentioned those, uh, those guys, the Silicon Valley guys, because uh, T.J. Miller actually had... One of the highlights of the show, which was the filmed recording uh, introducing Best Director. Oh, I missed that. Oh, they, they had uh, people f from all the shows that 
that had directors nominated. Right. And they had cast members from those shows uh, telling stories about the best bit of direction they got from uh, that individual. Oh, okay. And uh, T.J. Miller's was the best. I mean, he's all heft out and, you know, uh, it's all about finding that space inside yourself and <laughs> unlock that locked room and go inside and learn your lines. It was really good. Uh, that's pretty funny. It was really good. Everybody else is trying to be funny. Yeah. And he's funny. Ah, oh, yeah. fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, we've made our obligatory Mark Hershon reference. <laughs> right, Suckatash! Yeah, although, gosh knows if there's ever going to be another Suckatash. It's been so many weeks. Well, he's been a busy fella, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Let's, let's, let's talk about in. some of the things that Mark Hershon might have been doing. <laughs> Driving. <laughs> and for those who don't know, uh, the show that we uh, often reference on this show, one of our favorites, Suckatash, it's the Comedy Podcast podcast. And right. it's, it's kind of the talk soup of comedy podcasts. If you can't listen to all the comedy po- podcasts out there, you listen to Suckatash and it, you get sort of a, a sampling, a soup song. Of... It's, it's the fortnightly-ish. <laughs> now that's what I call music <laughs> of comedy right. podcasts. See how easy that is? <laughs> um, and uh, by the way, uh, on next week's show, we'll explain what talk soup was right. and now that's what I call music. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, boys. Love those guys. And you can catch more Chill Pack over at their home site, chillpackhollywood.com, or as part of the vast blog talk radio network. Looking forward to seeing them in person for a big old party and podcast soiree they're throwing in L.A. in a couple of weeks. But next up, let's get into a little of this. The 10 most active shows in the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast list. This exclusive feature, exclusive only because no one else would see the point of doing it, covers the 10 shows that saw the most action up or down Stitcher's Top 100 Comedy Podcast list this past week over on Stitcher.com. It was suggested to me last year by Ed Wallach, the host of Don't Quit Your Day cast, who I just happened to see this last uh, week at the 142 Throckmorton Theater in Mill Valley, California, A. At the same show, I happen to hang out with Travis Clark, half of the hosting team of the Tiny Odd Conversations podcast, got to do some improv with Rick Overton of the Overview podcast, and Mark Pitta of the After Hours with Mark Pitta podcast. Man, was am I getting off track or what? Here's the rundown. At 39, the Cracked podcast moved up 11 places. At 42, Burt Cast's podcast down 10 spots. At 47, Smodcast Education up 18 places. At 60, The Brian and Jill Show down 7 places. At 69, <laughs> The Champs with Neil Brennan and Moshe Kasher down 7 places. At 79, WMMR's Preston and Steve Podcast down 7 spots. At 83, Fernando and Greg's Daily Podcast up 38 places. At 91, Straight Out of Low Cash up 7 spots. At 96, the Mick Betancourt Show is down eight places. And at 98, the New York City Crime Report with Pat Dixon has gone up 12 places to get back into the top 100 over on Stitcher.com. Not a whole lot of big swings on the chart this week, with the exception of Fernando and Greg's daily podcast. That one had gone up 38 places. i got to check that one out this week and see what keeps them jumping up there. Next week, we'll also see who's making moves on the 10 most active shows in the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast List. 
Comedian cultural commentator Will Durst's first blast of this episode's Double Dose to Burst takes on the end of summer. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about that wonderfully hideous first Monday in September, Labor Day. Yeah, sure, it's a big-time holiday, but a bittersweet one. Because it's the last warm, wet splash of summer. You won't see many ice bucket challenges come December. Labor Day is the end of swimming pools and lemonade and fireworks and the beginning of the World Series Halloween and pumpkin lattes. The solstice is dead. Long live the equinox. But what gets lost in the unfocused dread over losing the light is the original meaning as a testament to the American worker. Labor Day. A day we set aside to celebrate the sweat and toil of the ordinary American who puts in 40 hours a week trying to pay off a mortgage while feeding 2.3 kids with maybe enough left over for a trip to a theme park without having to auction the car off in the parking lot. It seems so counterintuitive. A day off to honor work, like eating fried chicken to celebrate vegetables, parading nude down the runway of a fashion show, pushing cars. And Labor Day isn't restricted to organized labor. It's for all of us who work for a living. Doesn't matter if you're sweating over liquid steel poured sand molds or sweeping factory floors or bouncing from the cash register to a coffee urn, this holiday is about you. And it's up to each and every one of us to make sure our American dream stays alive. We have to pay attention. Stop handing out tax breaks to companies that move operations overseas. We can't afford to pay folks for exporting our jobs. It's like a coop full of hens awarding grants to the foxes to modernize their midnight raids. Or wrestling an alligator and giving him a two-tooth advantage. Because we need all the teeth we can get. Happy Labor Day, everybody. For Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst. If you want to check out more Will Durst and see where he'll be performing, why not visit his home site at willdurst.com. I'll be working with Will along with Johnny Steele and Larry Bubbles Brown in just a few weeks. Looks like the producers of the three still standing documentary, Robert Campos and Donalo Cicero, have tapped little old me to host the three still standing live on stage event on Saturday, October 4th at 8 p.m. That's right after the film makes its world debut, its premiere at 5 p.m. on the second day of the Mill Valley Film Festival. Exciting stuff. You can find out more and even get tickets if you're in the area at MVFF.com. That's Mill Valley Film Festival, MVFF.com. Tell them Mark Hershon sent you and they will say, who? All right. As I said up top, all the clips this episode are from podcasts where the hosts and or their guests were talking about and remembering Robin Williams. I know there's been a lot uh, said about his life and death since his tragic suicide a month or so ago on August 11th. Maybe you're tired of hearing about it. I can understand that, but he was a personal acquaintance of mine and a great friend to San Francisco comedy, not to mention a global icon. But if this sort of tribute is too heavy or not your cup of tea, I get it. Feel free to give this episode a pass if you want. But you're going to miss some great words spoken about a comedian, actor, father, husband, and friend who was truly beloved. Tyson Sainer, our associate producer and the man who painstakingly searched out and sliced off the clips you're about to hear, asked if I would relax our usual policy of playing clips of just three to five minutes in length. I thought that was an appropriate request given the nature of what we're doing here, so some of these are kind of long. Hope you don't mind, and I hope the hosts of the show we're playing these from don't mind us taking a bit more of a liberty than usual. 
I'm going to start with a slice off the top of the Christopher Titus podcast, the section he calls the Armageddon Update. This was cut just two days after Robin moved along, and you can hear the emotion in Chris's voice as he talks about his personal hero. I'm Christopher Titus, and this is the Armageddon Update. And by far, this is the saddest one I have ever had to write. This last week, one of my heroes, Robin Williams, died. He was 63. You know, whenever we lose a comedian, I'm extra sad because of what we do. I mean, comedians create laughter and insight, and they make people react authentically. You can't fake a real laugh. I mean, you can dance to shitty music, but you cannot laugh at a joke that isn't funny. You know, we've lost a few comedians as of late. Greg Giraldo, brilliant. Patrice O'Neill, brilliant. Robert Schimmel, brilliant. And a while back, Mitch Hedberg, brilliant. But I don't believe we would know about any of those comics without Robin Williams. See, in the 70s, there were no comedy clubs. There were folk music clubs, poetry places, or at worst, strip clubs that let comics go on between tassel-wearing future dental assistants. There was no chain of clubs. And then HBO aired Robin's first special, which was released on vinyl as Reality What a Concept. It was... It was like when someone first heard Elvis and rock and roll clubs sprung up. All of a sudden, there were big laugh-offs on cable, comedy specials all the time. Biker bars flipped to full-time comedy clubs. Robin Williams and his amazing comedy birthed an industry that has kept me alive, fed, and closed. Thank you, Robin, for giving me my life's work. Reality What a Concept was the first album I ever bought. I used my allowance to walk seven blocks to the store, then walked out with an incredible, unreal display of voices, impressions, literary references, scathing pop culture insights, and dick jokes. See, we all know that the penis is named Mr. Happy because of Robin Williams. We used to sit around and have competitions doing the bits from that album. Why be a honky when you can be funky? Come on out to Leroy Funkified's Badass School of Soul. That's right. You can learn to talk jive. Bad sucker, what's happening, baby? These and many, many more. Learn all the basic steps. Become instantly well hung. That's right. Instantly well hung. Don't, don't ask why. Just call 555-4444. Call now. The whole album is like that. Just bit after bit. And they're just rapid fire coming out of nowhere. Stuff that some comics would take years to craft and form. He would pound out 30 of those in a row. And so many of those jokes on that album, comics did for years after. Three Mile Island jokes, impressions. You know, every comic kind of just kind of shaved a little bit off the idea and changed it. And every comedy club owner owes Robin Williams for the roofs over their heads and the money they buy drugs with. I am sad on a cellular level this week. There is no replacing Robin Williams. No one does it like he did. No comic brought everyone to the party like he did. There are the icons of their worlds. Ali, Elvis, Eastwood, Earnhardt, Jordan. People that took it to another level. Who set the bar impossible to per surpass for decades. And Robin Williams was my John Lennon. A comedian who showed us another playroom full of toys we didn't know we could use. He opened the door to a new way. He pulled apart the comedy at him and reconfigured it. And he did it fast, like a super collider, and his death has left a comedic black hole. At the end of Reality, what a concept, he says. You always have to stay a little full, Goose Bozo. A little touch of madness will keep you alive, because no one knows how to tax that. I'm Christopher Titus, and this is the Armageddon Update. I like Chris Titus a lot. Used to book him into the uh, shows in San Francisco when he was first starting out as a stand-up. And he says he'll come on the show sometime. His home site, by the way, is ChristopherTitus.com. 
slash podcast. And of course, like pretty much all of the shows we feature on Succotash, you can find a show on iTunes and Stitcher, as well as a lot of the other places you find such things. In the clips we have today for Robin, there aren't many that uh, have us hearing from women. One exception is this clip from the Evil Teddy Bear podcast with Corey Epps. He did his own Robin tribute, and one of the people that spoke was actress Stephanie Erb. Hi, Corey. You've asked me to talk a little bit about Robin Williams, and it's very clear from social media that the whole world is mourning his passing. It was unexpected. It was a tragic loss, and not only because he has this huge body of work that we all admire, but that he was a great guy. People seem to have loved him. I never got to work with him, sad to say, but I know a lot of people who did and a lot of people who were his friends, and he was a kind, funny, sensitive man who had a lot of compassion for humankind, and that is a huge loss. To me, that's what makes a full artist. You you are great at what you do, but you also are great at being a person and uh, uplifting your fellow man, and he did that. Unfortunately, he had this incredibly sad side that perhaps made him a great artist. We don't know, but I, I think struggling with addiction and struggling with depression is not uncommon in the artistic world. Certainly many people I know do. And, uh, it is unfortunate when it wins. Now you also asked me to talk about his work and there's so much, his legacy is huge that I couldn't even isolate one particular movie. I mean, there's Goodwill Hunting, there's Fisher King. It goes on forever, but I will say since I, adopted my daughter, I found Mrs. Doubtfire even more delightful because there's a huge amount of kids' movies that adults really don't want to watch. But Mrs. Doubtfire, anytime it's on cable, we'll all watch it together because it makes us all laugh. It touches all of us. And I think he really got to, um, Robin really got to get in touch with his very sad side in that movie, as well as being an incredible clown because he was playing a dad who couldn't figure out how to make it work. And he had to resort to madcap madness to try to get his kids back. Um, and it's a really compelling kids movie, and we need more of those. Uh, you know, I was also thinking, thinking uh, we lost Lauren Bacall the next day. But Lauren Bacall got to be 89 years old, and she has a lovely legacy as well. But we will not ever get to see the next 20 years of Robin Williams' career. God knows what it could have been, and that is a sad thing and a loss for us all. Thanks for having me, Corey. We get a lot of Twitter love and support for our show from Corey Epps over at the Evil Teddy Bear podcast, so thanks as always for passing the succotash, Corey. Find him and his guests at evilteddpodcast.blogspot.com. I like that we're getting a chance to hear from some podcasts we've not had a chance to clip so far in the two and a half years that succotash has been in podcast land. The Nick DiPaolo podcast is one of those. He's a great comic, a very real guy, and his Epi 42 was entitled R.I.P. Robin Williams. We lost another one, folks. Uh, God, what is going on? Bad year for comedians. David Brenner, I think that was this year, wasn't it? Time's going so fast, I can't remember. Otto and George... This guy, Rich Seisler, last week uh, from Boston. Uh, Robin Williams. 
What the hell's going on? I'm forgetting one, aren't I? <laughs> Very hard when I can't remember. But God, what the hell is going on? Robin Williams, you know, I uh, mixed emotions. I mean, it's obviously sad. I, I it's just uh, I liked him better as an actor than I did a comedian, even though funny guy, no doubt about it. But um, it's so funny when he was alive and when he was at the peak of his fame with so many people saying, he's a thief, he steals from everybody, blah, 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 blah. You didn't hear all this love. But, I mean, obviously a huge hit with the public and uh, definitely super talent, man. I mean, uh, unbelievably funny. But I liked him. I really liked him as an actor more than I did a comedian. You know, it's just different styles and different tastes. And um, the guy could, you know be as funny as anybody uh off the cuff and uh ah, it's it's uh it is it's sad you know but uh i loved them in goodwill hunting he got an oscar for that supporting actor i believe and um good good morning vietnam the clip i just played uh you know he, he was winging a lot of that that's the guy was super talented and even in like uh some of those corny movies um Mrs. Doubtfire which me and Colin Quinn used to torture each, torture each other with that uh with that movie cuz we just found it really I don't know kind of annoying but it's still it's unbelievable what he was able to, he was in every frame of the film and and just the whole thing was him basically um showing off his talents you know it was just too bad they had to put into a, a corny Hollywood script but me and me and Quinn still torture each other, you know. He'll call me and go, "Hey, the," and he's done this before, and I've mentioned it on previous podcasts. He'll be like, "Hey, there's a uh, HBO, there's a special on Sam Kinison, or whatever." And I'll, you know, I'll flip over from whatever I'm watching, and it'll be, uh, it'll be Mrs. Doubtfire, you know, Robin Williams trying to put his tits out when they caught on fire with with two uh, lids from a frying pan or something, and. Uh, and I just hear Quinn laughing his balls off, and and then when he's on the road, like I'll be on, you know, flipping through channels and see Mrs. Doubtfire on TV. I'll take a picture, you know, I'll, <laughs> a picture of my TV of Robin Williams in one of the scenes of Mrs. Doubtfire, and just text it to him just to irritate him, and then he'll call me and ramble. But um, it's sad, man. That the whole the depression thing is just. I as a sophomore in high school, I experienced. Uh, I had a bout with depression for about a year. And I think looking back on it, it was because of my age. It was probably hormonal, but it was the most horrible. I couldn't get out of my own head. And I'm sure some of you listening have, you know, had bouts with this stuff. I'd rather a, you know, I'd rather a broken bone because when it's in your head, man, it is just, you just feel everything feels worthless and there's no value to anything. And um, I only had it for about a year, but it, I, I just remember going out with my family trying to, you know, we had, we had, a, we had a small boat. And my dad would take us out on like a on a Saturday. They were trying to like cheer me up. And I was just sitting at the front of the boat going, this is so meaningless. It's just everybody's having a good time. You just don't feel anything. It's it's just horrible. And I can't imagine people have to deal with this their whole lives. But it is, and I think it is common in a lot of people in the arts, whether it's actors or especially comedians who, you know, seem gregarious, especially like Robin Williams, who was on all the time. He's really masking something and and then trying to, you know, cover it with the alcohol or Coke or whatever, which only makes it worse. I mean, I, I did a little bit of Coke when everybody else did in the 80s and 90s or whatever. 
and, you know, it feels good for about five minutes. And then at the opposite end, when you came down off Coke, it, it reminded me back when I was in high school going through depression as a sophomore and just feeling just just horrendous. You don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to shower. And uh, it's fucking horrible. And thank God, like I said, I think it's because it was my age at that point. And I just outgrew whatever hormonal changes. That's what I chalk it up to for me. But people who have to deal with it, I mean, you know, throughout their lives, I can't imagine going through that. And, um, you know, I was just, as soon as I heard this, I was thinking of Richard Jenny, who t- took his own life, who was a tremendous, another tremendous comedian. But, you know, he, he had it horrible. Horrible mental illness that he had to take medication for for years and um and got to meet Robin Williams uh just once briefly at the comedy cellar. He was in town doing a movie or Broadway or something. I mean guy could do anything. Uh we were sitting at the comedy cellar table and he comes in and sits down with us and just joins right in and couldn't have been nicer or funnier and laughing at everything we said and um I think a lot of people were jealous of him, you know, that attacked him at the height of his uh, career. But, um, you know, some of his prowess, comedy prowess, is a little over-exaggerated, I think, you know. But but there's no doubt he could do anything, which is crazy. And, and I'm old enough to remember him on Mork and Mindy with that Nanu Nanu shit that uh, he does, a, you know, does a cameo on him before he's famous. And they do a spin, uh, on, on, he did on Happy Days, I should say. He did a cameo, uh, walk on on Happy Days, and it spun into Mork and Mindy, which really, you know, showed how, how great he was in ad libber and stuff. So he could really wing it and, and be funny. And, um, yeah, it was just horrible to hear, man. I'm just sitting there watching TV yesterday, and it comes on. I'm like, you have to be shitting me. I mean, Christ, how many are we going to lose this year? There's Nick DiPaolo. Dip into his podcast archive over at riotcast.com slash nickdip. That's N-I-C-K-D-I-P. Nick DiPaolo doesn't seem to be much of a Mrs. Doubtfire fan, but someone who is is Adam Ray, co-host of the About Last Night podcast with Brad Williams. I just met Brad for the first time a couple of weeks ago, as a matter of fact. He's heading up to San Francisco in another couple of weeks to take over a morning radio show on uh, 105.5 KITS here in San Francisco. So good luck, Brad. Anyway, here's part of what those guys were talking about on their show just two days after Robin passed away. A lot has been said in the last few days about the great Robin Williams. Uh, You and I found out together. We, We were in the car driving back from Tom Arnold's house, doing a podcast with him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you just get that text and you look down and you don't believe it. And you, you, it's, it, it doesn't resonate. It does even reading the headlines and reading people say RIP Robin Williams. You're like, well, that can't be right. That it, can't, that, that, that can't be true. Yeah. Well, you just, you just wonder why people that bring so much joy to billions of people through their their body of work you know uh, his the charity stuff he did that uh, his yeah, comedy over comic relief no, he's yeah, comedy but like his, so i mean touching people with his uh, not just comedy but his dramatic work and just who he is i mean it's like people i can't tell you like down days i would have where i would just youtube a robin williams talk show appearance or watch right. mrs doubtfire is my favorite movie 
which I've talked about because, you know, my, man, it came out right, when my, I think a week after my folk split and I was su- in such a weird time of like not knowing how to process it or what it mm-hmm. really meant. I hadn't even like talked about it with anybody. I hadn't been any sort of counseling or, you know, talk about it with your friends of that age. They're more concerned about like, you know, where we're going to get food by the foot, not, <laughs> not why your parents aren't together. But sure. That film like addressed it and then like wrapped it up into kind of a, it was the first time where I, I mean, I was at my friend's birthday party when I saw it and I cried in the theater and then at the end like felt kind of like it kind of wrapped it up in a way for me. And that's like, that was my first real taste of like, I mean, I was nine years old being like, man, this Robin Williams guy is the best. And it also, yeah. it may, it's the reason Jeez. I got into comedy. It's the reason I got into acting because people have always said, what kind of a career do you want? I was like, Robin Williams. I want to be able because to. the range. Yeah, you, you you saw him do things like Mrs. Doubtfire. Well, and, and I mean, not to bring it all back to that movie, but you pretty much can. In that in that movie, he's so funny, so silly, so dorky, but at the same time, able to talk to a kid, a nine year old Adam Ray, who's just yeah. gone through a divorce, and uh, let him know that it's going to be okay. And you see stuff like Dead Poet Society and Goodwill Hunting, for which he won that Oscar that we played the speech for. Hook, I mean, and then the Jumanji, look. Good Morning Vietnam, Patch Adams, um, yeah, yeah, Insomnia, Death yeah. of Smoochies, like so. Death underrated. of Smoochies, hilarious, uh, and like uh, and. He's he had that career that touched everyone in some way, shape, or form. You look back through however old you are, um, and he did something. Uh, you talked about Good Morning Vietnam. I did. Uh, it was my job in high school to do the, to do the, the morning announcements. I did, me too. For have we talked about that? We I, both. I don't did know, that. but uh, that's kind of cool. If we can find old tapes of both of us <laughs> oh to play the podcast, I'll be nuts. Um, but I went to Sunny Hills High School, and uh, me, and my buddy Ozzy. We loved Good Morning Vietnam. So when the announcements came on and the and the light went up, we would go, "Good morning, Sunny Hills." And two teachers got it. Yeah, two <laughs> teachers were like, "That's the best thing I've ever heard." These all, these, all, all these kids are like, "Why? Why is he yelling at that us?" That C quickly turned to an A. Yeah, exactly. But Robin's just the kind of guy where, like you say, when he was on a talk show, when he got an award, when he was on a red carpet. You just knew. Yeah. You just knew it was going to be good. Um, the the interactions, you and I have been lucky enough to meet the man. Man. And both, I mean. Uh, tell us. I'm, I'm going to tell that story. You tell your story. Yeah. If, uh, like, I got to do a show in San, in San, in San Francisco where Robin lives at a place called the Throckmorton Theater. I'm doing it with Jeff Keith and a c- couple of the guys. I get off stage, Robin's there, and I didn't know he was there, but he was there in the back, he was watching, I did my act, I got off stage, Robin walks up to me, I've never met him before, and he just goes, oh my god, Mr. Williams, you're like Prozac with a head. And I laugh and I go, Robin freaking Williams just called me Prozac with a head. (laughs) And if you read my bio... It's on there. Yeah, that, that it, quote will never escape you. Yeah, you it's Rob. All the time. It's Robin Williams called him Prozac with a head. Did that's you, that. That's in my bio. And, and and how just like he, I don't even think because you hear about these moments all the time where he would you know stop for a picture or or the Norm Macdonald story of <clears throat> of him just you know before Norm was about to go on Letterman and him you know coming in and, and grabbing the phone from Norm and talking to his friend and doing this whole thing like he was complaining about his order at a Chinese restaurant it's like he gave these moments to people not yeah. because he knew like they're going to love a Robin Williams moment because he was that like selfless and that mm-hmm. that much of a amazing human being to want to connect with just people on all levels and i think that's why it translates so much on screen yeah and like when i met him it was uh 
uh, at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, and I was doing improv, and there was a thing called the Monday Night Jam where all the students could go to the show, and then, like, they would basically have a few uh, big dogs uh, from the company on stage that you got to improvise with, and then they mm-hmm. would just, you raise your hand, and if you got picked, you got to be on stage for oh, wow. for a half hour and improvise, and Robin Williams popped in that night. And oh, I'm on shit. stage, and I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. this is my idol. I'm on stage with them. I going to get a chance to improvise with them, possibly. At one point, I'm just standing in the back watching most of these scenes. I just, I'm like literally outer body experience then he mm-hmm. steps forward to start a scene he just starts doing a gibberish like a very passionate gibberish speech where he's like mm-hmm. and i'm like all right somebody should obviously step in and be like his interpreter his english interpreter right because right, he's right. clearly being yeah. that part of the scene sure so i just i feel myself my body just move forward it was almost oh, like God. somebody just pushed me from the back and i just like fling forward God, you have the courage to do that oh, yeah. to see rob yeah. williams on stage you go and yes i, I belong look there. over at me yeah and he, and he finishes a gibberish speech and then he turns to me uh, as like somebody would to be like interpreter right. right and then i just started saying stuff i don't remember anything i said i remember i said something at one point about like i wish like Avocado wasn't so expensive at Subway or something, <laughs> some sort of like thing like that to where yeah. he, it was it's something short after, because one of his last ones, he went on a long, like 45 second Jewish right. rant. And to he, where I was and just, just like, ended with, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, like that. yeah, it's a classic joke. It's and, great. Uh, and then I remember I walked back to, we walked to the back of the stage and he comes over and he puts his arm around me like a half hug and kind mm-hmm. of squeezed my shoulder and just had that big Robin Williams, like warm smile that just like yeah. made you feel like a million bucks and, that you've seen so many times on TV and in movies, and and he kind of just he goes he goes so funny man so funny, oh, and I geez. literally go I don't know what just happened yeah but you're the fucking best and yeah. he, and he gave a and he gave a little Robin Williams laugh and oh. then he squeezed my shoulder again and then and then like I you know that was that that's your that's your life and dude I was just like the fact I couldn't have, I, even if I had just been in the audience watching that night I would have still never forgotten that night but sure. the fact that. He looked at me and said, it's not even about him complimenting me about, no. uh, you know, it's not like that made me go, I am funny. I'm going to keep doing this. It right. was just that like, you got, I got to meet my, the guy who I just, you know, has made me feel so much, uh, and, and made me, uh, on a weird level, like it made me go, I want to do, be in this profession that yeah. so many would probably choose not to, if they knew what it really required and, right. and did to you emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, uh, I, you know, there's countless stories like that that we've been seeing people posting on Facebook or, yeah. or the interviews coming out and, and a lot of, sort of his friends. and Which is why it's so just crazy to think that there was uh, so much um, pain going on in him that, that he uh, didn't want to be around anymore. Yeah. Catch up with the About Last Night podcast at their home site, aboutlastnightpodcast.com. Here's some wonderful remembrances from Greg Proops, host of the Smartest Man in the World podcast. I know Greg very well from being in an improv group with him in San Francisco before he got into Whose Line Is It Anyway? And we've both done stage work with Robin separately and together. This was recorded while Greg was over at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Uh, Robin Williams is not only swirling in the heavens tonight, uh, Robin Williams is encompassing the entire universe with his great vast mirth. All I could think of was the line from uh, Hamlet, I knew him, Horatio, a man of infinite jest. He was a man of infinite jest, and there's not anyone that he met or that he had uh, social intercourse with that he didn't enrich their lives with the unbelievable largesse of his heart, with the catholicity and range of his, uh, 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 of, uh, of his interests and bearing, with the generosity and uh, magnanimity with which he embraced uh, every single human that he came across. If you remember uh, in the movie uh, The World According to Garp, which was like his first great starring role um, in the pictures, uh, 
I think that slogan for the movie was he's the most human being in the world. And it was a perfect role for Robin. I w- I'm not saying that I was best friends with him. I'm not saying that we were rolling buddies. I'm not saying that I hung out with him. I knew him because I'm from San Francisco. And he was our Elvis Presley. When I started doing comedy uh, and uh, late, uh, you know, right after World War II, Robin was already Elvis Presley. He had... Uh, there was a, a thing in San Francisco called the San Francisco Comedy Competition, which was quite large for a while. He was in the very first one, which is, I think, 76 or so, and he lost. How did fucking Robin Williams lose when he was the funniest person in the world? Because the guy who won, the mic went off, and the, uh, the power went out while he was on stage, and he did such a great job at living that the judges gave it to him, and Robin didn't fucking win. Uh, then he went on and did a, a, a really poor version of Laughing, then Mork and Mindy, and then he became a TV star. And uh, I ran into him millions of times over the years. We did a few gigs together. We improvised together. Me and him and Mike McShane did uh, improv uh, in San Francisco. Mike and I were doing a... Mike McShane, you'll know from Whose Line Is It Anyway. Uh, he was the uh, giant one uh, on uh, the British version. Then he's uh, been... He doesn't have as much weight now, so he's formerly two and a half men, as we say. Um, <laughs> In any case, uh, and Mike is playing with us this week uh, at the uh, What Does the Title Matter Anyway show uh, here at the Fringe, which by the time this drops, I think there'll be two left. I think we'll have done, we'll have Monday and Tuesday left. In any case, we're doing a, a late night show at the other cafe in San Francisco, which is real hip in the Haight Ashbury district. And Robin came in and uh, he's like, mm-hmm. and because uh, that's how he talked. Uh, off stage, he was really shy and retiring. You wouldn't believe that because he was a fucking tornado on stage, but off stage, he, oh, oh. And the, one of the greatest pleasures and most, uh, the biggest honors of my life is that he called me Mr. Proops for our whole relationship. I didn't ask him to. I didn't tell him to. He'd go, oh, Mr. Proops, oh, oh, sit in. And I, uh, so he sat in with us, and um, Mike and I were in pretty good form, and we did a Shakespeare. And uh, he, he, he was enormously strong, right? Robin was like a wrestler, and uh, he was really hairy. And he sweated like the very devil on stage. So we'd be in an improv with him, and he'd go, Whoa, whoa, what? Last off what like you through one wonder. And then he'd grab you in a headlock, and you'd be like, Ah! And then he would sweat on you and, like, rub his hairy chest on your head. So I would be like, This was just, like, Robin's sweat all over your face, rubbing up against his hairy nipples, and it was magic. <laughs> he was a beautiful human being. Um, if you go on Facebook and you go online, you'll see that... First of all, all the comics in San Francisco and all over the United States are completely bereft. Uh, and a lot, I think people all over the world are. Because uh, if you were a little kid in the last few years, or say, the, say you're in your early 20s or whatever, you probably grew up watching Flubber and Jumanji and uh, all of the kid movies he made, which was genius of him uh, to do because it brought his audience uh, to a younger level. If you're uh, older than that, you probably remember him from uh, Good Morning Vietnam and, uh, uh, and, and pictures like that. I think... Um, uh, the, the, what's closest to his personality was probably Garp and um, Dead Poet Society and uh, 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 Goodwill Hunting. He's so sensitive and, and lovely in those pictures. Uh, I mean, he made a share of uh, movies that weren't so hot, but there you are. We can't, they can't all be fucking home runs. And, uh, the other thing about him is his style of comedy informed everybody in San Francisco. He went a thousand miles an hour. He made a million sub-references. He presumed your knowledge of, or the audience's knowledge, rather, of, 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 of literature, of art, of history, of world events. He went a thousand miles an hour and did references about everything all the time. And uh, that was where I got all my information from. I mean, I'm not saying that I watched him and then I went, oh, I'm going to be like Robin Williams. I'm saying that he imbued San Francisco with the esoterica, left-leaning, uh, um, super sub-referency, uh, mile-a-minute style of comedy that left the audience behind. The idea when I started comedy in San Francisco wasn't to make the audience laugh. It was to 
prove that you were an individual on stage, and then eventually the audience would come to you. We were not involved in seduction. And uh, the difference is uh, Robin Williams was the most likable, seductive person I've ever seen on stage. The person that I, I've asked British uh, people uh, who was at that level, um, because let me put it this way. He was like, whoa, like Mick Jagger or, or, or James Brown or Aretha uh, Franklin or Mahalia Jackson or whoever you can think of. When they walked into the room, everybody went, oh, my God, they're in the room. It, it, it was enough. He had that kind of magnitude, that kind of magnetism, that kind of star power. We used to play at this inconceivably shit club in San Francisco where he started called the Holy City Zoo. It had 80 seats. And often less people than are here right now uh, on a Tuesday night at 2 in the morning in front of a couple of drunks. And that's where I learned to do stand-up. And uh, Robin would come in uh, unbidden because he lived in San Francisco. He'd just show up. And within 20 minutes, like uh, 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 telegraph, you know, uh, uh, like unbelievable, invisible telegraph, this 80-seat club would have 150 people stuffed in it and people standing on the street waiting to watch him. So here's two good stories. Uh, uh, he's on stage. And he's at the Holy City Zoo, and he's wrapping it up, right? He's, and he, he tended to do about an hour and 45, two hours. Like, he, he, he'd do a long set, right? And so he's beating the crowd up, and they're fucking loving it. Everyone's crying, laughing, wiping away tears. He finishes. The next comic up is a brilliant comic named Larry Bubbles Brown, who's a very good old friend of mine from San Francisco. Uh, and here's, here's, Bubbles, uh, here's a couple of Bubbles jokes. Bubbles has a, he looks a little bit like E.T. And... Uh, Here's one of his jokes. The nicest thing a woman ever said to me is, are you sure you're not a cop? Um, so you get an idea of where Larry's coming from, right? The bubbles is a joke. Uh, anyways, uh, Robin finishes, and he has to, you, have to, you had to work your way through the crowd, right? Like when you finished at the zoo, you walked in front of the crowd because that's where they were. And, and that door was over there, and the, and the toilet was over there. So anytime anyone did anything, everyone saw it. He leaves. Next up, Larry Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, Larry Brown. Well, he was just following Robin after a year. So he gets up on stage, and there goes Robin in front of him leaving. And Larry goes, hey, Mork, where you going? I sat through Popeye. <laughs> Find Greg's Cerebral Meanderings, a.k.a. the Smartest Man in the World podcast, at his home site at gregproops.com, as well as on iTunes and wherever finer podcasts are streamed or downloaded. Before I break for a word from our sponsor and dip into the tweet sack, let's hear one more from some of Robin's hometown boys. This was at the end of an episode of Nerd Poker with Brian Posehn and friends. In this case, Brian and his friends were Blaine Kapach and Ken Daly, along with guest Dave Anthony, and they talked about their memories of Robin. Everyone but Ken really got their comedy chops in San Francisco, and so crossed paths with Robin a number of times. I don't know if we know how to get into it, but we're we're still really really sad about Robin Williams. Yeah, 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 man. And did anybody have did you stand up last week? Did you? Yeah, I did a show. I did five. I did five hours of stand up comedy, in, in San Diego, at a comedy club, and they wound up being fucking awesome. And I thanked the audience every night, and then did a little, little different, you know, tribute to Robin every night. But, like, that was the toughest thing for me was just going, I'm so sad, and then I've just got to do this, you know? And uh, and driving to San Diego, I was like, we know my act. You know, my act is fucking 
It's not deep. <laughs> it's, not, it's not deep. It's shit that just makes me laugh. It's really self-deprecating at this point. And it's just, um, you know, 20 minutes about my how gross my balls are, uh, you know, 15 minutes about how gross my farts are. And, and funny because it's true. Yeah, and then... <laughs> Bunch of jokes about how gross my tits are, and you know, you have the grossest balls, just fat tits. and just gross, and it's all just. Thanks, for Robin. Thanks, Robin. No, but <laughs> what I came up with though was, you know, and as I was driving down there, I was like, "Well, fuck, how am I going to just talk about this shit and still have it be real?" And you know what I mean? And uh, while I was going through this this sadness and then in a roundabout way I got to it of of like well th- that's why I do what I do you know what I mean yeah. like the reason I decided a long time ago that the style of comedy I was going to do is going to be lowbrow <laughs> And kind of because uh, that's what I've, let it be low, bro. No, but kind of because that's what I've got. That's what I am. But it's also been for me, comedy was always an answer to the other shit. You know, comedy was came to me um, because the other stuff was dark. And, and uh, you know what I mean? Like as a very young kid. Yeah, it's how you deal with stuff. That was how yeah. I dealt with stuff. You know, my my dad dying, you know, really young made me, like, kind of always try to entertain my mom when she was sad. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and, the, and where I would go is, you know, the easy laughs. Like, look at this. Hey, conk. <laughs> Watch me dislocate this. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> and um, I don't know where I'm going, but... It's hard to be funny when you're sad. Yeah. And it's weird because it's like I felt like I've known him since the first time I saw him on TV. You see, the first time you saw him, he became ubiquitous. He was, all of a sudden, he was always there. And it, uh, it's sad that he's gone because it's like that weird amputation that you get when somebody dies where you can't, there's, there's no, there's no end to it. But there's there's the complete end, and it's just very very sad. And for us, and for for him to, for him to have to, for you to have to be funny when you're not. Happy is just a drag, but for it's a, hard work. But that is our job, and our job is to make people happy when they might be sad. You know what I mean? And it doesn't matter what we're feeling, you know, because it's your fucking job. Yeah. You know. And the other part was the Bay Area thing, and Dave too. That's why I, you know I thought of, you know, I knew we were going to talk about this at some point. And for the three of us, uh, he. No matter if you grew up him being a hero, when you're in San Francisco, he was kind of... He was it. He was it. Yep. Yeah. And he loved being from there. He he loved being from San Francisco. Super supportive of the came back and was supportive of all of us. He came to our shows, like me and Patton. Yeah. He came and saw... Were you at the one that the Comedians of Comedy we did in San Francisco that he came Uh, to? No, I didn't go to that one. He fucking... Not only did he come, but he, he paid... To yeah. get into the show, he didn't like he try paid. to get on a list. Yeah, he always he paid. paid. Yeah, Wait and then he night. also waited with our fans, and our fans are freaking out, going, "Fucking Ron Williams is out there." Do you guys know Ron Williams is out there? And we're all like, "Yeah, it's weird." And then tell him no pictures. At the end of the show, he waited in line to meet me and Patton the first time. 
And then, you know, <laughs> we freaked out. We were like, well, you fucking waited to meet us. <laughs> That's just the kind of guy he was. I don't know where I'm going. It's just, I, I the reason, I, I just feel frazzled. I've, I've felt frazzled for a week and a half now, or, what? you know. Yeah, he was he was he was not only the big he was the big star out of San Francisco, but he was a better person than he was anything else. You know, just having sat and talked to him, yeah, it wasn't like you know some some people die and you're like, well, that, that guy was kind of a douche, but he was just a really good guy. And I, having yeah. not known him at all, all I've heard is just how what a great person he was and how good yeah. he was. Well, he really, yeah. he was really generous. There was a comedy club that uh, well we all used uh, Holy City Zoo. And the word was he kept that place open for a long time. Yeah, yeah uh, a lot of checks by you know writing checks to those to the people that were running it. Yeah, and it was always like, well, what do you need? You know, that's the kind of guy he was. Yeah, and genuinely I, selfless. Yeah, yeah to drag. Man. He was a good one. And Patton said a thing. I'm, I'm sure he won't mind me saying, but because. Uh, both of Pat and I didn't go on Twitter right away that day. I was busy. I had I, I was watching my son that day, and so the day I heard about it, I just what was good is Rhodes kept me kind of from thinking about it all day and just like you know how you get Distracted. Yeah, yeah, well you know, how you get with that sadness is you just it's it's it it's always takes there over, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. And uh, but with Rhodes, I couldn't let it. You know, I had to keep playing all day and then going back. But but I was in contact with Patton all day. And uh, one of the things he said was, uh, and, and it'll make you sad, but just that face to think of that face that you knew to think of Robin's face that sad, like that's what really fucked Patton up and then once he said that yeah. to me I was like you fucker every yeah. smile he's ever had to me on Robin Williams has always looked weirdly sad yeah he has a, yeah, had a sad smile and now mean. yeah now you'll never be able to look at that stuff like, again oh that's like, why yeah that's yeah and you know I talk about depression with my friends and you know and, and uh, Jesus do no, you no no oh my god <laughs> but I guess I don't know what it really is you know what I mean? Like, that's what made me, like, seeing what this did to that guy, I was like, well, I haven't really felt it then. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know r true depression. Like, I get mine at the mall, you know? I, I bought my depression at Hot Topic. Because <laughs> compared to his, you know, that's just black, yeah. black, black. Sushi grade depression. <laughs> yes. Hot Topic's pretty depressing. <laughs> <laughs> But thanks for listening. Uh, I just, I, I, I wish I had a point. You know what I mean? But I uh, guess the point is just to get it out. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Catch Nerd Poker, which is Brian and his pals playing Dungeons and Dragons over at Earwolf.com. And now this important message. Friends, if the high cost of air travel is getting you down, then the all-new Henderson's Flying Jodhpurs should have you as high as the proverbial kite. While these sharp new business casual pants can't actually imbue you with the power of flight, slipping them on is practically the next best thing to getting there, wherever there happens to be. Never again be hassled by a jumbo-sized seatmate or a perfumed matron stinking up your space or suffering for seats that are crammed so close together that they make a body bag look roomy. With Henderson's Flying Jodhpurs, you get to put the world on hold. 
And by hold, I mean that's where you'll be flying from now on, in the cargo hold. Our patented flyers are specially designed to make air transport superbly comfortable, whether you're in a pet carrier, cardboard box, or wooden crate. With plenty of extra padding, it's like having your own first-class seat. Henderson's custom-fitted flank tanks hold enough breathable oxygen for you to survive a flight from Shanghai to Timbuktu. With the extendable bib and hood lined with 100% genuine alpaca, you'll stay toasty warm no matter how high you happen to fly. And speaking of high, unlike makers of inferior brands of aviation breeches, Henderson's flying jodhpurs come with a built-in altimeter, so not only will you be alerted when your air supply starts to run thin, but you'll also know when you've made it into Henderson's exclusive Mile High Club. While most reputable air carriers prohibit passengers from flying in the cargo hold, Henderson's has worked out agreements with the remaining disreputable airlines to welcome aboard anyone sporting a pair of Henderson's flying jodhpurs. Originally designed for Amelia Earhart, the Wingwalkers Club of Altoona, Ohio, and Area 51, Henderson's Flying Jodhpurs are available wherever Army and Navy surplus goods are sold. That's Henderson's, makers of fine slacks and loincloths since 1903. And now, back to Suckatash. Thank you, Bill Haywatt. Let's take a few minutes out. This has been some pretty heavy stuff, so thanks for sticking around. Let's air out the tweet sack and see who's been reaching out and tweeting out this past week or so. I've had more requests for the Succotash zipper pull, the most recent ones this week from England and to the Three Guys Rant podcast fellows in Southern California. I will have a bunch of them with me and also some of my magnetic Succotash buttons on hand uh, when I'm at the third annual Los Angeles Podcast Festival coming up September 26th through 28th. So don't be shy about asking me for some if you happen to be at that event. Got a request from our friend Eric Furness over at the Foon Podcast to give a listening uh, to the Sklar Brothers on the P.F. Wilson's podcast, which we'll do. Tyson has snipped a clip. We'll have that up for you in the next episode. Thank you for mentioning that to us, Eric. A shout-out to our friend Ed Krasnick, host of the Humor Me podcast. He dropped me a line to say hello, which reminded me that I never did do a makeup interview with him. I'd lost the first one I'd done when one of my external hard drives crashed, so I will see him in L.A. around the time of the PodFest, and we will talk then. And you will hear that talk sometime later. Before we get back to the Robin Williams podcast tributes, here are the names of some fine folks who've been kind enough to tweet, retweet, mention, DM, or follow us on Twitter, in the past couple of weeks. John Dredge, Attaboy Clarence, Alex Enriquez, Broadcast Basement, Wild Bill 77, Amish Baby Machine, Inconclusive Podcast, Lori T, Trevin Ben, Ben Harmer, Life Invader, The Angry Ginger, Denny LaBelle, Sky All Violet, Ella James, Tiny Odd Conversations, Jim Browning, a.k.a. Revelstoke Jim, Brit in American, DAPF Podcast, DAPF Pod uh, Annalise, and DAPF Pod Neil C., Travis Clark, Wheelbarrow Full of Dicks, Jordan Brady, Hackett Miller, Zach Zakibi, Salty Language Pod, Don't Quit Your Day Cast, Daily Show John, David Feldman, Ed Wallach, Gareth Reynolds, Noah Wilkinski, Good Underscore Podcasts, Comic Roast Podcast, SHM 666, PF Wilson, Strange Times, Adam Barker, 
Doghouse Bastards, Dave Lister, Ken's 65, The Three Cuckoos Podcast, Schmuckman Zero, Funny Looking, Wrong Foot Podcast, Monica Hamburg, Angry Beards Podcast, Senor Hollyweezy, Podcast Whore, Parker Mountain 33, Scott Taylor, Bob Zaney, and Sex in Van City. There's our tweet sack for now. Mention at Succotest Show in your tweet or tweet to us directly with your questions, comments, and suggestions for comedy podcasts for us to feature on the show. I'll also read emails in the tweet sack section too, so you can send along notes, clips, and pics to Mark M A R C at SuccotestShow.com. One of the clips Tyson grabbed is from a podcast by a comedian who's been in the game longer than Robin Williams was by more than half a decade. Tommy Chong, along with his son Paris Chong, hosts the Chong and Chong Show. And here's Tommy talking about his perspective on Robin. Let, let, let's talk about, let's say a good, good farewell to, to, to Robin. Yeah, I, I love what you wrote. Yeah. It yeah. was very nice, very touching. Yeah, that was... It's uh, kind of weird, though, that he didn't even acknowledge you saying hi to him, though. No, he, he had no social skills like that. One-on-one. Like, he could entertain if there was more than one person, two people, three people. He would, he would entertain. He, didn't have, he couldn't respond at all to no, you? No, no. Johnny was, Carson's the same way. They, they have no... So they have, like, Asperger's or something like that? Or? No, they're trained to memorize scripts. You see, you, 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 you know, those guys, you, you figure out, you, know, you look at those actors, you know, and they don't take a breath. Those, those fuckers, they, remember, they memorize all that shit. And when you memorize stuff, you become that character in order to memorize it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when you're not working and you're not, so you don't have any written scripts to, to, to play off of. Mm-hmm. And, and so what happens with, with, with Johnny Carson, now Johnny Carson could ad-lib the shit out of anything, mm-hmm. you know, but he had to be, the camera had to be on and someone's going. Did he recognize action. you? Uh, Robin? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he he talked to me. Like, he said, hi, you know, hey, what's up? You know, But he, he couldn't handle the, the compliments. Th- there was no, yeah, there was no, like, that happened to me with uh, Jack Nicholson. Remember I yeah, wrote about told that? Me. Yeah, but you told me he was just super high and just like well, a he dick. Was, well, he became a dick, you know, because that's that's their, um, that's their, their protection, yeah. you know, to become so abusive that you don't go near him. Yeah, because everyone wants to hang oh, with him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, Everybody would be over there, like, like the, you know, and, and they don't care. You're th- pretty good at that. Like, you allow people to hang with you, but but I've noticed that it's tough for a lot of other famous people out there because, fuck me, you don't really want to say hi to every single person in the airport, do you? Well, you can't, especially when you're there on, on other business, Yeah, you know. I mean, my, my motto has always been: if you're out, and, if you don't want to be uh, bothered, don't go out. Yeah, you know, don't be, don't put yourself in that position. Yeah, but yeah. once you're in that position, you have to. Uh, you got a choice. Well, you that's can why be a dick, or you can be a nice guy. That's know? I think. Isn't that why, like, you know, ultra famous people uh, have security just to keep people? Oh yeah, to keep their their distance from yeah. people because if not. A lot of fans just they can't control themselves and they they have no i no concept of personal space and they Absolutely. Just boom right in there Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You know? And they can't they can't they can't they can't help it. They're too excited. Well, they you have no you, idea. You've seen them with us. No, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and they'll I see. crawl over people to get. Yeah. Well, like when I was in Kelowna uh, last week, yeah, pu- push your wife aside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Will you take a picture? 
She refuses. But you just you bestow that that honor on me every day. Take a picture. Paris, come here. Take a picture. <laughs> but John Paul gets me back. Oh, JP. Yeah. Oh yeah. JP. JP is our, well, our our business manager, and he's 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 a pretty funny guy. Well, he's a Vietnam vet that got yeah. shot in the chest and he lost his hearing, <laughs> and so he has hearing aids that he turns on and off at his yeah. whim. Yeah. And so he's deaf, and, he, and, he, and he's older. And he can't take a picture of his shit, man. Oh, man, he'll look at the camera. And he'll go, one. And no, he'll hold it up, and, and I'm standing there grinning until my face hurts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he goes, okay, one more. Okay. Uh, okay I, I think, think, oh. I think we I, got it. Okay, let's do one more. All right. Oh, one more. Oh, he tortures his shit out of me. <laughs> And I'm sitting there grinning. I don't want to seem like a dick. And, but I like so, what some of the customers do. They just snatch the camera oh, out yeah. of his hand. Yeah. They look at what he took and say, oh, excuse me, uh, can you take a picture? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it when they're good and they can just do a selfie, you know? Yeah, yeah, I don't mind that. But but the whole thing, getting back to the, you know, the Robin's shyness, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, I, I, I didn't... I didn't take it as an insult. I took it as a compliment mm-hmm. because what happened, Robin was doing Mork and Mindy. He was doing mm-hmm. television when Cheech and I started doing our movies. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, this is where Robin wanted to be. In the movies. In yeah. the movies. Yeah, yeah. He knew he was going to, yeah. he knew, just yeah. knew back then, you know, how good he was. Yeah. You know? And so rather than to be the celebrity and coming up and say, you know, I'm Robin Williams. I would like to watch uh, Cheech and Chong do a movie. Yeah. He snuck in the back and stayed in the back. And because you learn more, you know, from yeah. the back, you know, you know, people put on airs and so on. But when you're sneaking in and looking at the, the sh- machinery behind the scenes, yeah. you know, and, and then he didn't want to be out at, you and, know, you, and you were a fan of Mork and Mindy, right? Because I, I yeah. really liked it. Man. Yeah, I was he, a big fan. And of we, Robin. you loved watching his stand-up. Oh, at his, I seen him his one-hour shows. You loved him. Man. Oh, I seen him at the comedy club, and and he would be like, oh, he would be just he crazy. He'd yeah. walk in and just change the whole vibe of the whole place. You know? Because he's not one of those write down a joke guys. No, actually, he more than that, he can m- memorize everybody's act, and he can do someone's act better than they could yeah, do it, yeah. you know, and that was, it got him in, in, in trouble, you know, with... Uh, oh, did he? He got accused of... of well, he, he got sued. Moving people off? He got sued by, uh, what's his name, the, the, the Jewish comedian? Oh. Jackie Mason. Jackie Mason. Jackie Mason sued him. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Robin did verbatim. You know, he he took his act and did some of it verbatim, but but that's where he was. You know, like like I say, they, they can memorize page after page. Of yeah, I I think when I see him, it's almost like he's 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 got this virus called comedy diarrhea, yeah. and he just can't stop. He can't. You know, you give him a stage and a microphone, and, fly, and he is just he, he but, can't but, stop. But know? he he will work with other comedians. He, like he worked with the Whoopi Billy Crystal. And Billy. Yeah. yeah, he 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 allows other people. Yeah, and, and like I wrote in the in the blog, you know, even when he wasn't working, he had a twinkle. He yeah. was always present. You know, he never left the the, the scene. He yeah. was always present, and he and he was he was, That's what made him so special. Yeah. You know, and and the trouble is with those guys, they 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 feel that they never gave enough. 
Yeah. And that's why they, they keep going. You know, that's why it's hard to get them off the stage. Right. You know, like, like Chappelle, I've heard him doing seven hour shows. Yeah. You know, where yeah. he, he just can't get off the stage. Yeah. Because what it is, that's when they're alive. Yeah. You know, they, or connected too, right? Like, well, they're alive and they're connected and, and, and they don't, they, they're not really, they're only comfortable when they have an audience. Yeah. You know, and if they don't have an audience, you know, sometimes they talk to themselves. Sometimes they're, they're themselves. You know, they're yeah. the audience. Yeah. You know? But I, I'm, you know. Is it, is it, uh, is it th- this kind of thrill or this feeling of love that they get from the audience that they, they, that they need and they, they need to replenish a lot? Yeah. A lot of it's that. It's, it's being accepted. You see, mm-hmm. a lot of those guys, if they weren't, who they were being funny, uh-huh. they wouldn't be, you can pick them out of a crowd, yeah. you know, and that's what made them special. You know, a lot of comics, that's what kept people from bullies from beating them up. You know, <laughs> yeah. they would entertain the bully and all of a sudden, Oh, Hey, this guy's funny. I can't yeah. hurt him. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And that's why like fat guys, yeah. you know, that's yeah. how they got laid. That's yeah. how they didn't get, yeah. they didn't get beat up. Yeah. That's how they, you know, that's how they made everything happen in yeah. their life. Right. Like Lenny Bruce said, that's, that's how the Jews got out of Egypt. <laughs> you know? Cause, cause what they would they would do they, uh, to the guards and that they would be so charming, you know? And so the guards would say, Hey, come on, let's go down and listen to that Jew be charming. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's basically, you know, they got out of uh, Egypt without anybody getting hurt. Yeah. You know, it was just Moses doing his tricks, you know. Yeah. But they, but that was, that was, you know, the charm and knowing what to say, you know, comedically. And, but one-on-one when, when you wanted to, uh, you know, just touch bases with these guys, you know, mm-hmm. on, on just like, Hey, how are you doing? What's up? You know, how's the kids? It, yeah, it, they they just they're stuck for an answer, yeah. Because they're they're prepared for everything else, yeah. But they're not prepared for like small talk. The Chong and Chong Show is up on the Sideshow Network TV and also on SoundCloud. You can also find links to all the shows we clip at our home site, SuckatashShow.com. Just visit us, and uh, there is a link in every title to every podcast from each show. Like Greg Proop, someone else who prefaced his thoughts about Robin by talking about Lauren Bacall was Larry Miller, host of This Week with Larry Miller. Larry has got to be one of the classiest guys in comedy, and he had a narrow brush with death himself a couple of years ago when he took a fall and smacked his head pretty badly. Here's his take on Robin. It's not our magic movie moment movie today, but if you haven't seen To Have and Have Not, folks, just see it. It's a great movie. It's a great World War II movie. And what a cast on the side... Hoagie Carmichael is always great, and the great Walter Brennan is wonderful in everything he did. This movie was, I think, from 1944 or 46, something like that. But, folks, just see it. So this is with a smile and a salute, and, uh, boy, God bless you. That's why it was worth mentioning Lauren Bacall's name. And, uh, as you know, uh, the great... Robin Williams died this week or last week at the same time, rather. And certainly so much has been and is being said about him. He certainly made us all laugh and he certainly made us all tear up. He was a terrific actor and a terrific comic. And you know what? Always a terrific guy to see smile. 
and say, hi, how you doing? And you know what? That's so much has been said, and I'll leave it there with, uh, with pride just to say good luck to you, too. This week with Larry Miller is part of Adam Carolla's Ace Network. Look for him at lmblog.adamcarolla.com and also on podcastone.com. Here's a clip from a show we've never featured before, Stuck in the 80s. It's all 80s stuff all the time. Movie, TV, music, pop culture, and host Steve Spears and his rotating pool of co-hosts dive into the Reagan era with gusto. Robin Williams is a personality who transcended 40 years of show business, and our culture in the 80s was a big chunk right in the middle of that. Hey everyone, it's Steve Spears and this is Stuck in the 80s. And obviously it's a sad time here for me and for Brad and for all 80s fans listening around the world. As we say goodbye to a comedy genius and more importantly, just a great human being, Robin Williams. With me as always, because like me, we both keep black suits in our closets for moments like this. He's my own Mork from Mork. Say hi to Brad in L.A. Nano, nano, Steve. Uh, I'm assuming that you and I, we both grew up at the same time. Was was? Uh, yeah, I think I'm a month older than you are. So Mork and Mindy was our introduction. Oh, yeah. Well, I remember him on Happy Days. I remember the character first appearing on Happy Days. Right. Yeah. But I mean, but Mork is how we all met Yes. Robin Williams. Um, so as we record this podcast, it's been two days since Robin Williams was found dead in his home north of San Francisco. Uh, by now, we we know that the likely cause was suicide, and the reason behind that was his long battle with depression. Uh, let me ask you this, Brad. What was your first reaction when you heard? I, there's no way. I was shocked, absolutely shocked. A friend of mine texted me, did you know that Robin Williams died today? And I just immediately, you know, to the Internet. Did a quick search and I called you. Right, and I'm so I'm sitting here. It's 7:30 p.m. Eastern time on Monday, and the phone rings. And I look down and caller ID says Brad in L.A., which is actually how you show up on my caller ID. <laughs> it's true, and I'm like, oh, this can't be good because, I mean, I, I don't we don't I don't know if we tell the listeners, but you call me a lot like at night yeah. when you drive home on, on drive time, yeah. But drive time is normally 8:30. Yeah, 8:30 to 9:30. 7:30 phone calls are not a good thing. And um, so I kind of, and then immediately when I answered the phone, I could tell from your tone of voice that something was wrong. And I said, who, who was it? And you're like, Robin Williams. And I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah. not so good. Not good. So immediately I, I wrote something for the blog and I just started thinking about all these great moments, you know, that got us through growing up, you know, from, from Mork and Mindy to the world according to Garp. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Meeting Fonzie. Remember me, Mork from Mork? You once called me the nutso from outer space. I think I must be dreaming of something like that, you know? Uh, in the 90s, you know, Hook and Fisher King and just, wow. Yeah. Well, I've told my Fisher King story on an earlier podcast. I, yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, it's great. Um... Would you say that Robin Williams was the funniest guy that we will ever see perform comedy? He certainly brought the most energy to it. I'm not sure. I, I mean, top top five, top three. Uh, I might put Steve Martin up there ahead of him. Wow. But I didn't I, see I, that one coming. That's yeah, I know. 
that's a that's a you know that's kind of a personal choice thing. Absolutely, one of the funniest guys of that decade or any other decade he was in. Once you have a son, all your little sperms go. I'm unemployed. So hard they're standing in line going, "Yes, uh, what did you formally do?" Well, I came and went. No, seriously. Did you ever get a chance to see him perform live? Uh, no, I have not. I did, and it's a it's an interesting story, and I'll never get another chance to tell it. I presume. Um, I went to the University of Florida, as as we all know by now. Before I went to Florida, the in 1982, Robin Williams performed at in Gainesville at something we called Gator Growl. Now, Gator Growl was a student um, organized pep rally that okay. was gigantic. It it you it was held in the football stadium. Okay, so there's wow. seventy thousand people. <laughs> I was say that's yeah. So 70,000 people are there, and it always included um, a big-name comedian. It okay. included uh, marching band performances. It included um, – You got my interest now. Fireworks. Uh, sometimes it had a band. And then there were student skits. So that okay. that was the, the basic shtick. So in 1982 – and for some reason, because it was so big and there was so much money behind it, they were always able to get A-list comedians. Okay. So 1982 rolls around. And Robin Williams plays it. Man. And he goes into a routine all about his penis. <laughs> and calling it Mr. Happy. I've, I've heard that routine. So he does his Mr. Happy routine. The alumni that were there were not happy about Mr. Happy. Mm. The students were howling. I mean, they just were. I mean, they loved it. I mean, it was always a little body. But Would you say they were eating up Mr. Happy? Yeah, they were. They were gobbling up what Robin Williams was giving them. Um, in any case, um, the alumni were so pissed off that they <laughs> they basically forced Gator Grout to change after that, so that to make it more family friendly or more, you know, cross generational. So the following yeah. year, Bob Hope. <laughs> I think that might be a slight overcorrection. Yeah, and then and then the following year after that, Bill Cosby, which is. Probably right where you want to be. Yeah. And then for my first year at the University of Florida, for my very first Gator Growl, they bring up the Smothers Brothers. Oh, my gosh. You've got to be kidding me. No. Oh, my. Who's programming this thing? The kids. But, I mean, the, but the alumni at this yeah. point had stepped in. The alumni in and, is pulling the strings. Yeah, now they've the stepped in there. and they're pulling the strings. If you lived through the 80s or just know someone who did, get more at their home site, stuckinthe80s.libson.com. Dan Harmon, the creative TV's community, as well as Adult Swim's Morty and Jack, is also the mayor of Harmontown, a live podcast we've featured here before. He's aided by his comptroller, Jeff Davis, from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Harmon had a few things to say about Robin recently on his show. This song makes me happy and sad at the same time. Welcome to the stage, the mayor of Harmontown, Mr. Dan Harmon. Boy, I don't know. When you started playing that, I was like, weird choice. Well, I, I thought about it was either going to be uh, Aladdin, uh, uh, You Got a Friend in Me, or that one, and I thought yeah. this one was more sad. All right. You're meeting it head on is the, is the idea. We're you know, meeting it, it head be, on. Because that, that's how I first met him, and that makes me the happiest thing in the world because he, uh, Robin, it was, uh, that's how I first knew him. I grew up on, yeah, I mean, that's, that is how I learned to be funny. I remember being a little kid and uh, imitating 
Robin Williams, like uh, imitating Mork, uh, like 10 years old. My mom would take me to restaurants, and I would just be jumping around, making an ass of myself, trying to do an impression of him. When when Carvey was on, we talked about how in high school I would, you know, do my impression of his impressions. My whole life I've been a hack. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it definitely started, started with him. And we're all... It was very cool to have him here. Like, uh, the day he died, uh, like, Jonah, Kamel, uh, Patton, Oswalt, and a few other comic friends of ours went to the Rustic Inn, and we sat down, and everybody had a Robin story. And the stories were all about how he made you feel cool. He made you feel better for having met him. And uh, That's for sure. Yeah. I, you know, and, and, and I, don't, I don't think it would be fair or I don't think it would be honest to not talk about the fact that he was so successful and so regarded and so mainstream uh, uh, effective that uh, the comedy community, I think, had to especially, like, hang their head because, uh, and I'll, I'll say it if nobody else does, that there was a lot of shit we heaped on his 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 career path over over the time because it was just like an easy target because he made so many people so happy, and I I mean I think we, it, it it the the thing about that is is that no matter who you talk to, everybody 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 would sometimes enjoy that it was like shooting a slingshot at the moon you know I'm never gonna hit it, um, but everybody that ever met him without without exception no, no one has a had a story about how how how. How joyful and joyful is a dumb word. How 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 sincere and how connected he was. Um, he yeah he 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 never it, it was people would I don't know I mean I didn't I didn't say anything about it when it happened. It's this is a doozy. Uh, it's uh, and that's a really appropriate word to use. <laughs> it's a doozy. Um, uh, well, the fact that we Harold ha- Ramis, John Ritter, we, um, we had him up here with Bobcat, and like Bobcat is is and was very close to him, and he's really hurt by it. And we know a couple other people that were really close to Robin and are really affected by it. And I'm not, I, you know, you and I used to joke about we didn't like that movie and we hated Goodwill Hunting and we didn't like this and we we would heap shit on him, uh, but also. Uh, Having met him, you have to take it all back. And, uh, and also, y- you find out that you loved everything you ever did. For me, Popeye, he's fucking great in it. And th- that's the weirdest movie of all time. Why, why, why is Robert Altman directing a movie about Popeye? And, uh, wait, who, who did I meet that said, uh, fuck, who was it? They said they, they had stories about, uh, meeting Robin. And he's like, we, we went to Malta to shoot that. Malta, an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, and he's like, "There's no coke there," and, and that, was, that was a point in my life when it, like, I was it was fueled by cocaine. Like I had to have cocaine, and so they couldn't get it. They couldn't get cocaine there. So all of a sudden, a bunch of Parisian models, like really sexy female Parisian models, started showing up uh, uh, to the island of Malta, and all of a sudden, Robin Williams had coke. And it, it turns out that Popeye was made by vagged Parisian model Coke. <laughs> vagged? Like, the models were stuck. Oh, vagged. Vagged. Uh, like pocketed. Keistering, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 he, he had a bunch of sexy Russian, uh, 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 Parisian mules carrying the stuff. And I was like, it's a good movie. It's a fucking <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to live in a world where Robin Williams wasn't getting Parisian pussy coke. Uh, 
Um, it was uh, it was an interesting time too for Twitter. I mean, there was uh, you know we had to there's not a single person from. Uh, you, you, you sometimes I don't know like a comedy icon dying like uh, you there's corners of the comedy world that they didn't affect and this just wasn't the case and that's why I kind of stayed silent because I I had a weird effect happen to me where I I f- and this is all on me this has nothing to do with it's, it's all on me because I didn't want it to be all on me etc cetera, etc cetera. like a swirling irony of weird feelings that. I didn't want to take part in some kind of paltrization. Paltri- <laughs> it's not a real word. I just, it felt like we were, it, it, I was just was reading too much about it and seeing too many people's feelings about it and all of a sudden felt like, oh, we're ready to accept this, which I, I, I wasn't. I've never seen an, uh, a, a death of a celebrity that people instantly wanted to make it about themselves instantly. But I think that, like, and that's not a bad thing. That's just saying that, that I don't think we've ever seen anybody die that people instantly felt they had a connection to, and those are people that haven't met him. That that are that, that just people wanted to say, "This is my relationship to this guy named Robin Williams," um, and I was born in the '70s, so I like him for this. I was born in the '90s, so I know him as Aladdin. Some people know him as Peter Pan, which I thought was a terrible movie. Uh, but like, but like but people like, like like everyone had a connection to this guy because he was in a million things. Um, I should have collected. I didn't, but I didn't think. I didn't imagine we'd be able to talk about this. I wanted to kind of delicately, kind of like. I also didn't think it would be honest to not talk about it, but I also kind of wanted to like scoot around it and like have it just kind of touch us. And I, I, I but I at the time I wasn't thinking about curating things, but I, I think it's fascinating collecting the horrible, horrible ways that people mourn sometimes on Twitter. Oh, oh. <laughs> the, the things that they say, and, the and ways also, his, that they... His daughter said some nice thing and she got fucking waylaid by a bunch of assholes and like... It's, uh, I got, uh, <laughs> I got, I got tweeted by a guy who was saying, uh, hey, listen, man. This is, this is like two days later. A guy said, hey, listen, community's great. You're great. I think you're doing a great job. I think you're a really, really talented person. (laughs) Hashtag, however, didn't tell Robin. (laughs) And I was like, wow, okay, all right. (laughs) Wait, I I don't understand that. Yeah, well, you got to let it sink in for a second. That's the thing about it. Like, you go, didn't tell Robin. Oh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like people, people coping with it in different ways, people coping with their relationships with others through but, but it. In, in our small little comedy world, like Los Angeles, but also he did it all over the country and probably all over the world. Uh, so many people I know that do improv shows, uh, small time, no one goes to them, like, like nothing improv shows or UCB, which people do go to. Um, people have a story where Robin shows up and uh, just wants to watch. And then you say, well, you come on stage and he'll he kind of balk at it, but he'll get up there and he'll get up there on stage with people and makes everybody feel like the coolest person in the world. And I think, like, I, I feel very touched and honored. Like, I met him when he came on Harmontown here. I had happened to have dinner with him two nights before and we sung songs and improvised stuff and ma- he made me feel like, well, first of all, I felt like an audience member at the coolest show of all time. Because he was just doing this like command performance that nobody commanded, and he stood up, and my girlfriend was uh, like Scottish, and he just starts improvising Scottish songs, 
And, <laughs> and, and so I had ukulele and some friends had guitars, and he just started improvising folk songs. And he did perfect Scottish accents, says she, like, like perfect Glasgow and perfect Edinburgh. And, and we just like, we laughed so hard. And he was sober at that time. Like, like, he, like we, were, we were all drinking wine, but he was sober as a barrel. And, and that was it. And then two nights later, I didn't know he was going to be here. Uh, uh, Bobcat was here. And Robin had happened to call uh, Bobcat and say, hey, I'm going to Meltdown Comics to buy some comic books because they love comic books. And Rob, uh, Bobcat said, oh, well, I'm here. I'm going to do the show with my friends called Harmontown. Would you want to come on stage? Oh, you know, he, he kind of balked. That. I, Dan didn't tell me about that. So I come out here, sit stage left, play a song, and Dan makes a joke like, you guys don't deserve the show. Like, Bobcat Goldthwait. I, 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 oh, Bobcat comes out, and then he says, Bobcat, fuck off. And then he says, <laughs> and, Rob, and Bobcat leaves, and he goes, Robin Williams. I'm like, ah, I'm laughing. And I go, like, yeah, Kobe Bryant. And, uh, uh, but, but Robin comes out, and he hugged me because we had hung out, and he made me feel like we had been best friends forever. Like, he had a cool ability to make you feel really uh, cool, really special. And, and I don't know him. I, I, I met him twice, I, but I, I kind of felt like I did. And it's, uh, I, I'm, pretty, uh, I'm pretty proud of the fact that we had him here. And it made me cry really fucking hard uh, because I have friends that are really close to him. Yeah, uh, Aaron was really devastated by it. And uh, I don't know, everybody was. It's just like... I didn't expect to be, though. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected to be uh, devastated by that because I didn't feel very close to him. I didn't know him. I met him once. But I, also, I feel like it was a weird thing. And we, when I sat and uh, Pat Oswalt showed up and we just sat down and he had some... Really, everyone has really good stories. He has better ones. Because he's uh, met her more. And uh, I said, I just don't feel like I was ready for him to not be around. No, that, you know what, that's that's what it is. It was, I don't think anybody was ready for him to not be it's around. It's a weird thing to have some, some I think everybody thought that he was always going to be around. I thought that's how I felt Certainly about Harold Ramis. 20 too. more, 30 more years. Like, uh, I think he was hitting a stride. And it's like, it's a weird thing to have subtracted from your existence because. You didn't realize the value that he had. Harmontown is part of the Feral Audio Network and also has their own home site at harmontown.com slash podcast. Here are some personal memories of running into Robin by Todd Glass on the Todd Glass Show podcast, along with his guests Ian Carmel and Rob Gleason. Here's the last thing we're going to do. And I thought about should we do this or not, and we will, and then we'll take a break. Like old school radio. But obviously I did want to, uh, well, yeah, I think obviously, tap in, uh, talk about the Robin, Robin Williams uh, dying uh, about a week ago now that people hear this. And uh, did you ever meet Robin Williams? No. Did you ever? No. Meet Robin Williams? No. He, you know, he would drop in on those shows around town, but I was never fortunate enough to be there. I was still living in Portland. Yeah. Yeah, did you, how did you, and I don't mean, by the way, I'll even edit this out if you're like, I didn't. What, did it affect you more, how did it affect you when you heard it? Because for me, it was a little bit like, oh, this is, and I don't try to make other people, you know when some people try to make all tragedy their own, because mm -hmm. it gets them out of their own life? I don't do that. There's comedians that have died, and I was sad, but this really did affect me more than I thought it would have if I had to guess. Yeah, I don't think that I made it my own. It, I, he certainly uh, was an influence uh, on me and, pr and probably a lot of uh, comedians. I think what I did was I, I t took moments and I really thought about my favorite movies and how tremendous his body of work was. That's what I thought about. I was like, man, you know, it just he's accomplished so much and he was so talented. Uh, and it's just su success isn't the key to happiness. I think that's what I was like, man, it, it's really not. 
I know that's a, that's exactly what we talked about last night. That it's like, and it's for some people that go through it. It's the band aid for it, but you're still dealing yeah. with all the same. You, it was I, for me. It was very scary. So like, anytime a comedian dies, you know, before their time, it like affects me because it seems like so many of us die. Like so many of us kill ourselves or kill mm. ourselves with like alcohol or drugs or food, you know that kind of thing. Like when, uh, uh, like I mean, when Robin Williams died, it was scary for me. When, uh, oh, what's the guy who he died earlier this year? Big, big fat comedian. Panette, one of the P- best. John Panette. John, John Panette died. I was like, open for him a number. That one affected me. I knew him because I'd open for him a number of times. Yeah. That one, I was like, oh. He was, but it's it's just so sad. And like, I mean, I personally, you know, I I I, I probably eat too much, but I I've, I haven't been luckily suicidal. In my life, but it's scary as a comedian. Like, I mean, suicide is already like the tenth leading cause of death, just amongst Americans. But it seems like it's higher amongst comedians. So you think about that, and it's like, okay, maybe it's not me, but maybe it's one of my best friends. Maybe it's going to be, you know, this person who I never would have expected. And with Robin Williams, it's like so successful, so uh, externally happy. Even though you know everybody's like passing around the Pagliacci story now. And how they could see how sad he was in his eyes. What's the Pagliacci story? Uh, so a uh, a guy goes to uh, the doctor in this town, and he says, "Doctor, I'm sad. I've never been I've never been sadder. I'm weeping all the time. My life is in ruins. I don't know if I can go on. Uh, what do I do?" And the doctor says, "I know exactly what you should do. The great clown Pagliacci is in town. You should go see him and laugh." And then the man says, "But doctor, I am Pagliacci." That's you know, and everyone's yeah. passing that around about like Robin Williams. So and so it's scary that this person who is so like vibrant and and, and spreads so much joy, if 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 even that person has that much despair that they're willing to kill themselves, it almost makes you like look around at everyone in your life who seems okay. I know. And then you're like, are they okay? Are they really that okay? And I know Robin Williams, the public persona, and Robin Williams, the private persona, two different things. And he was probably more externally not okay in his private life. But it's still it's scary. It makes it seem like it could happen to anyone, which is true. Anyone could be going through it, which is a reminder to be kind, I guess. Absolutely. And when you talked about John Panette, I remembered this happens a lot. But every time I forget it, like <laughs> it's so funny. They're, oh, they're backing in cars um, for the end of the night. They're pulling some new cars into the showroom, but it's part of the show. You know, one of the shows go. We can't turn the air on. People will hear it. Well, look good. Let them hear cool air being yeah. pumped into your dumb podcast. <laughs> me, I, I don't mind. You got this. sports cars. Yeah, there's this sports. You got beautiful it's, sports. Cars. It's what's going on. Yeah. Um, when John Panette died, I remember thinking the same thing once again. Because <laughs> I had a story how kind he was and so sweet and so. And then you hear everybody else tell it, like you, and you're like, oh, he was like that to everybody. That's yeah. what makes it even better. And that I don't have a great Robin Williams story, but um, my. Ex-partner in crime still manages his daughter Zelda, so um, he has a daughter Zelda. My my ex. What does he do? What does Zelda do? Zelda is an actor. Oh, she's an actor, and then Chris, my yeah, he manages her, and um, that's how I found out because he found out. And um, I had only this is my story, and then we'll we'll take a break, and then we'll we'll I have a little something to play. But um, when I was in uh, uh, San Francisco, outside of San Francisco, there's something called the um. Oh, what's in it? Throckmort, Throckmort, Throckmorton the Theater. Throckmorton, Throckmorton, and, and Mark Pitta, uh, you know, puts on a great show there, and the crowds are great. And Robin Williams came by one night, and um, we he we did bits. I was with Daniel Kino, and we did bits like, and we while we were doing it, we didn't think it, but he, we were doing bits. He made everybody comfortable in the room, and I did think to myself, 
Where else could he go to get a little piece of normalcy? Hey, I'm not going to bullshit and act, you know, like uh, too cool for school. I was nervous when he walked into the room, but I get comfortable pretty quick because he wanted everyone to be comfortable. And when you want people to be comfortable, you probably can get them there. And that's what he did. And we did bits. We just did bits. And I thought, where else could he go to get a little piece of normalcy? Go hang around fucking comics and mm. do bits. He, he found it. And when we got in the car at the end of the night, I didn't know, like, how, you know, it affected Daniel. I'm like, we were doing fucking bits with fucking Robin Williams. And I said to Daniel, I said, should I tell him, like, that my, you know, should I? I didn't want to say, at that point, I didn't know what to say. Like, my friend, he goes, if you're going to tell him, you have to say, um, you have to tell him the truth. Because, you know, it's like we were talking before the show. When you meet somebody, if, if your mom comes up to me and she goes, I'm Rob Gleese's mom, something about mom, brother, sister, Friend, I'm I'm nice to anybody. If someone says friend is kind of too vague. Yeah, you're still going to be nice. I'm going to be nice to someone that comes up after the show. But when it's a mom or next, is it next to kin? Is that the you know next to kin? You're going to be so. So Daniel goes, you got to say who it is. So I went, and and I have a pot pipe right here that I brought with me tonight that that uh, Robin gave to Chris for Christmas. So I thought. So, well, it, it still was from him, but you'll understand the little glitch in it a little minute. So I thought I wanted to thank him because I use it a lot. and It's fun. You know, it's just like a really cool pot pipe. It's, not, it's like it's stone. And so I said, hey, um, I said, Robin, I go, my friend, and I made air quotes, heavy air quotes. But I wasn't sure he knew what I meant. I said, you know, he goes, I said, you know, um, got a pot pipe. We got it for Christmas from uh, from you for Christmas. He goes, oh, is that what Zelda's buying people with, you know, with my money and made some sort of joke? And then later I asked him, I said, by the way, when I said friend, because we were talking later, did you know what I meant? He goes, I know what you meant. He goes, I go, how did you know? He goes, well, you, those air quotes couldn't get any thicker. <laughs> you, know, like, you were really making the air quotes. So, um, and then he was nice and, and, um, and he was sweet and uh, we did bits with him. So, but I think what, what affected me, D Dead Poet Society, really fucking did it for me. Uh, I was like probably 24 when it came out. And uh, it reminded me a lot of the teachers in my life that were like that. Mm. So so, um, so there you go. You know what I've been thinking about in this industry as I watch uh, comics that I once idolized? I mean, you watch that career trajectory. Is if you really want to keep your sanity, you have to be just as excited about the ride down as you are about the ride up. Like, you have to have just as much fun going over the top of the hill and then, like, your career coming back down from, like, starring in your own shows to just guest stars to being the weird. You, you know what I mean? That, like, come down. The trajectory of careers. If you can be just as happy in that last part and have just as much fun, I, I think it. Because, because, you're, because everything will lead to something, a change in paths, a change in redefining. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. Well, that's. Like, all of our careers are going to go up and then down. Most comics, like. Right, if you don't slam on your brakes during that downward thing and just kind of enjoy, enjoy it. it, if you can find a way to enjoy it, yeah, 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 or whatever, whatever, yeah. yeah. But it won't stall. That's a good point. I don't know. I like this. Even if it's not true, it sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, I know exactly what I you think mean. I mean. True. I, I think totally it's true. I totally do. It's 100 true, and, I, and then it and also I, sounds elegant. Yeah. Like I think more so than like other career trajectories where you're working in a corporate job and you work your way up, 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 up until you're done going up in this. As a comic or an actor or whatever, you're going to be up and then down and then up and down over years and years. And it's about making sure you're enjoying both both mm -hmm. parts of the ride. When you're when you're sitting here talking about it, and then and then we'll end because I don't want to make it like you know. But I, but look, I never make it about myself when somebody dies. I never try to act overly. You know when people try to. I never. But I'm not going to lie to you. When I heard it in my living room, I was like, fuck. 
And I guess, and this will make me feel like there's a reason. Because, you know what? With all his shit going on and all his depression, like, I think it's fun to, like, he gave someone the best experience. And then, by the way, I found out this because everybody was tweeting it. You're like, oh, just like John Panette. He did that for everybody. That doesn't make me feel less special. That makes him more special. Yeah. It didn't make me feel like, oh, he was so nice to everybody. It makes me think, oh, good. oh yeah, yeah, of course. Like Everyone has a John Panette story because that's who he was. And I thought, you know what? When I met him that night, I was like, fuck, that couldn't have gone any better. Like when I met Don Rickles, like, fuck. And that was really fun. And I guess that's what it was like. That made me love him. I was like, good for you that you knew that you had the ability to make this the best fucking night of my life. And silly and giddy and doing bits with you, and you did. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. And then while we take a break, if whoever chooses to, that's why I brought this pipe. We, we serviced it last night out of respect to Robin. We cleaned it out with alcohol. Nick did. And then we'll maybe smoke out of it. Right, a pretty pretty cool thing to be able to do, and then um, so what? What I wanted to do, and I think we'll listen to this, and then we'll take a break. But I got the uh, clip from Dead Poet Society. Do you remember seeing Dead Poet Society? No, you didn't. <laughs> Such a good, I love <laughs> me. I'd be nervous. I'd be like, I think I did, but I wasn't sure. Do you Do you remember? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so we'll play this clip. It's 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 you're listening to it, but what happens is this is when Robin or the character in the movie, whoever what his name what was his name in the movie? It doesn't even matter. Um, was packing up his stuff because he was Captain, my captain, because he was fired and he was coming by to clear his desk out and had to pass through the classroom. Well, the new mean oh he was so mean was teaching, and uh, this is when the character of um, uh, who's the he was just um, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, you know. God, that ripped my fucking insides out just seeing how upset he was that the, this person that meant everything to him was, what the fuck is going on here? And he just shredded his insides, and it shredded my insides watching him stand up with all that emotion. And uh, so this is the scene when he's leaving the room, and everybody one at a time is getting up on their desk saying, go, Captain, my Captain. We'll take a break, and uh, we'll come back. We're going to fucking have a great show. It's going to be so much fun. And... Uh, the poem score for perfection is plotted on the horizontal of a graph. Mr. Keating, they made everybody Why, sign. Anderson. You gotta believe me, it's true. I do believe you, Tom. Leave, Mr. Keating. But it wasn't his fault. Sit down, Mr. Anderson. One more outburst from you or anyone else, and you're out of this school. Leave, Mr. Keating. I said leave, Mr. Keating.
this time almost every kid is up on his uh, chair. Tight shot of Robin Williams. Todd Glass Show is part of the Nerdist Network. You can also track it down at its home site, toddglassshow.libson.com. The last Robin clip we have this episode is from Dennis Miller, who's been hosting Miller Time, a daily radio show and podcast for years now. As a major comedy fixture and trained observer of pop culture and society at large, his is a personally moving reminiscence of Robin. When you're sort of stupefied emotionally and uh, feel you've lost a... Well, I feel the world has lost such a sweet presence. I guess you have to go back to basics, and boy, my soul feels tried. Um, to say that he was funny, obviously, but he was even sweeter than that. I mean, that, the thing I remember about Robin is that uh, he must have seen more smiles in his life than any human who ever lived. I know there's some sort of fame that uh, where people are stupefied and they sort of walk away, and uh, I've seen that with certain people. But with Robin, he was a brilliant diffuser of uh, fame with people. Uh, almost immediately after the, well, the British have a word, gobsmacked. You, you can understand what it means, the, where the jaw would drop when they'd meet him. Uh, he had this amazing ability to, he would either call them boss or doctor. Dana and I were laughing last night. Uh, I said, did you, did he ever call you your name in the last few years? He, he said, no, it was always hey, boss. And, uh, he would put them so at ease. And imagine what a delight that is to meet, uh, to meet a magical figure. And have him be so kind. Um, I, I used to marvel at the way people would leave him. And literally, as I, you know, watch them from behind, uh, you could see their sheet levitating, uh, a little bit off the ground. Uh, he had a big brain, a huge brain. And yet, I'll always remember it being, uh, dwarfed by his heart. You know, it was like, uh, I guess you felt like, you were out with the entire Troika from Wizard of Oz with Robin because it was, uh, you know, fearless. I mean, geez, the guy would jump into any situation. And uh, like I said, he was brainy. What did the wizard say? They don't have degrees. He was brainy that way. Uh, but the thing that rem uh, I'm reminded of that... Um, for a man who dealt solely in stream of consciousness on stage and in life, you know, Robin was jazzed a lot. God, I remember him, first guy I ever heard drinking quad espressos. <laughs> God bless him. 
he would toss a quad espresso like a you know I'd say Robin I'd be up for days he's oh slows me down um for a guy whose stream of consciousness was like a a barely tethered team of wild horses it never came out malevolent which always uh, is such a beautiful tell on a person I think his mouth was barely staying a lot uh, ahead of the uh the posse that was his brain, but they both seemed to, as I said, be governed by a, a sweetness, a gentility, where it never came out like uh, hurtful. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about beliefs, or I'm not trying to paint him as anything except uh, the quintessence of a human being. Uh, you know, like when people eulogize them into some sort of caricature. But I'm saying his basic moves when he was riffing were always uh, reasonably sweet and childlike. And, you know, I know when he was young, he uh, told me that he used to play alone a lot, and he'd play all the characters. And you've heard the stories of the toy soldiers and that. And uh, I would say the toy soldiers have, uh, of the world have lost their general. And um, I have lost a man that I really loved. I, I'll never forget him. And although it's sad at the moment, I know that I'll never, re when I do remember him, it'll never not be without a smile. And I guess that's a beautiful legacy. Um, say a prayer for Robin's soul and his children. He was even lovelier than you would imagine him to be, uh, gentle and kind, and uh, now where he belongs. Grab yourself some Miller time over at podcastone.com and anywhere else podcasts are streamed or downloaded. <sighs> well, I feel better having aired all those different takes on the late, great Robin Williams. Hope you found it a cathartic, therapeutic, or releasing experience in one way or another. To help bring us out of the show on a bit of a higher note, let's get to our second helping from our burst o' durst. This time our in-house raging moderate Will Durst is on about how he spent his summer vacation. Hey guys, Will Durst here to welcome our elected representatives back to work. Or rather back to their busy schedule of non-work. Back to ducking the important issues in the manner of a whack-a-mole game during a power surge. Labor Day traditionally marks the bare-knuckles return of the American political process, especially this year with the midterms less than two months away, looming like a gorilla on steroids in the pantry. And we here at Dursco have always wondered what our country's top politicos did to recharge for this stretch run. So it is with great pride that we share the results of our exhaustive research and reveal how they spent their summer vacations. President Barack Obama traded his foreign policy legacy for the chance to lower his handicap by a stroke. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell learned how to say no in 14 different languages. Florida Senator Marco Rubio held a series of mock debates with himself on the subject of immigration and lost every time. Vice President Joe Biden got a charisma implant, which alas, didn't take. Speaker of the House John Boehner cut some bitchin' rays. 
Wisconsin Republican Congressman Paul Ryan binge-watched Breaking Bad. Arizona Senator John McCain accepted the Curmudgeon Society of America's Man of the Year Award. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton surreptitiously measured the White House drapes. Former Florida Governor Jeb Bush looked into legally changing his name. Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid came up with a list of 47 ways to trick the GOP into shutting down the government again. Texas Senator Ted Cruz huddled with doctors attempting to tweak his meds to no avail. And finally, the consultant Carl Rove and the Koch brothers oligarchy rented a private island and hunted down kidnapped homeless veterans. For Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst. You can have yourself more Durst over at WillDurst.com. He also tweets at Will Durst on Twitter, and you can like him on Facebook, too. That's it for our special Robin Williams tribute clip episode of Succotash, a.k.a. Epi94. Another gigantic thank you to our associate producer, Tyson Sainer, for pulling it all together. Appreciate your listening. And if you want to visit our home site at SuccotashShow.com and click on our donate button or do your Amazon.com shopping by clicking the banner at the top of the page or even visiting our Suckatashery and buying yourself a t-shirt or a coffee mug, I am not going to stop you. Our first season of Suckatash is rapidly drawing to a close at upcoming episode 100. I have some format shifts in mind for our second season, which I am not prepared to reveal at this time, but I will soon. In the meantime, thanks for passing the Suckatash. You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, and on SoundCloud. You can also hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our non-toll-free call number, 818-921-7212. That number again is 818-921-7212. Suckatash is produced and engineered with the kind assistance of Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our associate producer is Tyson Sainer. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I am your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the succotash. Goodbye.